Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. On the way, Ruth Jones is teaching us all about friendship in her new Sunday Times bestseller, Us Three. Things heat up with Tom Ellis as he talks us through Series 5, Part 2 of Lucifer. Angela Scanlon is on to chat about a brand new series of Your Home Made Perfect. And Billy Howell tells us all about the new Britbox series of The Beast Must Die. But first, here's Maria. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How is Rotterdam this morning, darling? Ah, uh, it's very drich. It's very wet. It's very drich here as well, too. Yeah. Um, were you um, there at the dress rehearsals last night? Of course I was. Where else can I be? <laughs> in your hotel room crying. No, you can be in your hotel room or you can be in the venue. But that, And once you go, because so once I, when I finish this show now, yeah. uh, today, I'm being whisked off to the stadium to see another dress rehearsal. Oh, and then that's you. it. We're, we're, we're stuck in the stadium. Until two o'clock in the morning. Two, yeah, yeah, that, that's us there. Yeah. Oh, Graham, I hope they've got you a little fold-up bed, a little camping bed for Dame Nelly of Norton. He gets a bit tired in the afternoons. Well, you know, you do kind of think I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not as young as I once was, and there's a lot of steps in that stadium. So <laughs> <laughs> you just need to take your Pro Plus, darling, in the afternoon. That's what that's what I need to do. Now, but it is what they've done is amazing, though, here because it's. Against all the odds, because, you know, you, you kind of think we're in Britain and we're at one stage of this pandemic and we're easing all our restrictions. Here in the Netherlands, it's not like that. Here it's still really strict. And yet they have managed to get, uh, you know, three and a half thousand people into a stadium to watch a singing competition. Is that 20 percent? Well, they say it's 20 percent. Unless they've lowered the roof. I mean, it looks quite, it looks, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but it looks quite full. <laughs> so we'll gloss over that for now. I have yes. questions, Graham, because I have my man on the ground at Eurovision, Mr. Dave oh, yes. Goodman, extraordinaire. And he tells me I've put some money on, um, you know, I don't normally bet. I don't normally bet. It's not my thing. But at Eurovision. And this, is, and this isn't the year to bet, I'd say. Oh, <laughs> well, I made a terrible error then. I have five pounds on Serbia because they've got the hair and the boobs and the loco loco. And okay. I've got five pounds on San Marino because they've got Flowrider, haven't they? And yeah. the song is called Adrenalina, which I like very much. And also the rapping bit I like. What, what's your I, money on? I would say you've got ten pounds in the bin there. <laughs> It's what you've got. Oh, no. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if either of those win. They might come top 10, top five, but they won't win. I think the, the ones to look out for tonight are um, Italy, inexplicably Italy. It's a heavy metal song, but everyone seems to love it, apart from me. Um, it's heavy neck and neck. metal? No, no, yeah, no. I know. Well, it seems odd. If you like heavy metal, you wouldn't have thought you'd tune into the Eurovision Song Contest. That's not Eurovision, heavy metal. It's bim, bang, bada, boom. Yes, but no, it's it's very popular. And Finland is also heavy metal, and it's very popular. Um, but it's neck and neck between Italy and France. I adore France. It's a this real is the sort of, of Barbara, isn't it? It's the yeah, Edith, no, Edith Piaf-like. Love it. Yeah, gorgeous. Love that. And um, Iceland, I think, will do very well. If Iceland win, it is sort of peak Eurovision in the time of COVID, because, of course, Iceland won't be in the stadium tonight. Oh, one because, of them has tested positive. So because it's one of them tested positive yeah. for COVID. Mm-hmm. And then and, and there'll be no one to hand over the trophy because last year's, or the last winner, Duncan Lawrence, is also isolating because of COVID. So there'll just be a nice glass statue sitting on a stage. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can with, go and collect with, it for them. Yes, I'll go and get it for them with a confetti cannon. There'll just be a nice confetti cannon and a, a, a thing. But I, th- it, it would be lovely if Iceland won because they, you know, lots of countries want to do well. Very few want to win. And well, because it costs Iceland, so much to stage it. Yes, but Iceland do want to win. The other people who want to win are Malta, and, and she's great. Destiny is fantastic. Yes, that's uh, a big front runner as well, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Jean Cass is the song. Azerbaijan, I'm can, out you, of here. can you just run me through Azerbaijan? Because I've heard good things well, about that too. Well, Azerbaijan is singing a song called Matahari, which you kind of thought, you know, <laughs> given that was a Dutch, a Dutch Nazi spy, you wouldn't want to sing about her in Rotterdam. But it's just but, a word, isn't it? But anyway, she's 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 come she's come to sing about uh, Matahari in what I mean. That's a, it's there's a lot of uh, ladies in leotards flicking hair this year, a lot of them, um, and I think they'll probably all cancel each other out. Probably the best of them is Cyprus with uh, Il yeah. Diablo. Yes, no, I've um, got that down as a uh, fire. Is that the song they're called, or they just got fire on stage? <laughs> they've got they've got fire. They've got uh, Il Diablo. Diablo is a big sign and it's all, they set it on fire and they do a really clever thing with a mirror, a kind of angled mirror that makes them look like there's more of them than they are. Well, that is say, clever, Graham. Staging, staging tonight is, I, I don't know, maybe I'm losing my mind because I haven't, I haven't been to a Eurovision for nearly two years. Uh, <laughs> but the staging tonight, I think, is remarkable and the lighting is absolutely beautiful, really is. Graham, my uh, staging I, this morning is very, very good because I'm sitting in yours and Chris's chair in the big studio. I've got the big seat. It's a little bit damp, I have to say. Well, that's probably because somebody's had to clean it. <laughs> that's probably wet wipes residue. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. I, I feel like for this for this Eurovision, I should have just made a suit out of wet wipes <laughs> and, and worn it. Um, Graham, our UK entry, my last thing I want to ask, UK entry yeah. is song nine, isn't it, James, Mr James Newman? And that's when Endless. you're allowed to have a drink. Do you think you will need the drink at that point? I think we will be raising a glass to the memory of Sir Terry and to cheer on James Newman. You know, it's a real banger of a song, but in a, it is a competition with a lot of big, upbeat songs. Because I think the idea was everyone kind of thought, oh, we want to come back and cheer everybody up. And oddly, that means the ballads are the ones that are kind of breaking through. There's some really gorgeous ones. Listen, I hope everyone enjoys the show tonight. Mm. Uh, have you got some letters there? Do you know I have? All right. Well, look, you sort yourself out and drop your headphones and cough. Virgin Radio. Right. First letter, please. Yes, here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, seven years ago, my friend went through a breakup of a two-year relationship and she's been single ever since. Although she's never spoken about it that much, myself and my friends all get the impression that the ex wasn't too kind to her and when he ended things, he left her feeling like she wasn't good enough. Even before her last relationship, she was very awkward with any guys who would cheer her any attention. She's now 35, and we can all tell that she wants a family, as she's great with all of our kids, but we fear that she won't get the opportunity if she doesn't start thinking about meeting someone. She's not been on a date or had any sort of encounter with anyone in the last seven years, and it's become a taboo subject. Whenever we mention someone who might have potential, she shuts us off or makes an excuse. But it just seems like she's got no self-confidence. Any mention of dating apps makes her really anxious and upset. Quite frankly, as time goes on, she's getting more and more shy in any social situations with new people, and it's very difficult to see. What can we do to help her? And that is from Chrissy in Liverpool. 
Well, Christine Liverpool, you're very kind friends, I think, and, you know, it's you want her to be happy, etc., etc. But she's 35 years old. You can't run her life. You know, you've done all the things. You've tried presumably having parties or dinners at your house with friends of your own partners, etc., etc. You know, setting people up is normally the worst thing and will just provoke more anxiety. I just think whatever happened with the ex um, after a two-year relationship, and that was seven years ago, which is a long time, something hurt her very badly and it's hers to deal with and hers to have. I just don't think you can really get involved. People have to be responsible for their own happiness. And whilst with all the goodwill in the world, you are trying very hard and you care, I just think you have to back off. Whatever will be, will be. It's her life. Graham, you may not agree with that. Well, no, well, I mean, the thing is, you you can't force somebody. They need to be ready. They need to be in the right place to meet someone and have something happen. Seven years does seem quite long. So my worry would be that maybe this woman has got stuck in an emotional bit of her life, some sort of glitch along the way, and and can't move forward. In which she, you know, in which case you kind of think you do need to see a counselor or a therapist or something. But that's a very hard thing to suggest to a friend because it's almost like saying I think there's something wrong with you and Mm. of course that's not what you're saying you're saying I want I just want you to have some help and I don't think your friend group i.e. us we're not we're not the right people to do it for you or we don't seem capable of doing it for you because it's been seven years I it's difficult isn't it because you know being with someone isn't the be all and end all exactly and and if she's happy, that's fine. Now, if she is thinking, oh, I really, really, really want a baby, I mean, I, I mean, you can do that. <laughs> you don't have to have a, a full-time partner. Um, you, just, you just need some of that partner. And then you can have your nice baby. Uh, if, if that's what she really wants, then she can do that. Otherwise, she is making choices. You know, she is making decisions saying, I'm not going out in the dating pool and she is aware that the window of opportunity for having a child is closing and that's that's a decision she's making and Mm. she has to and you know she's not stupid she's aware of that so she's she's going to have to kind of live with the consequences of that and and so be it i also i think you know she was with this person for two years and seven years so it's the since and that's you know three and a half times the length of the relationship now something clearly very badly went wrong and she was very hurt and she has made a decision that she doesn't want to be hurt again and to be alone is better than being hurt. Yeah. Now, some people make those choices because it is very painful breaking up and each one cuts a little deeper and it's harder to put your heart back together. So after that, where she clearly put her eggs into one basket, for want of a better word, uh, she has just decided, no, I'm not going to go there again. And however much you think, Chrissy, in Liverpool, that you're trying to help and that you want her to have a family like you have and partners, etc., she's 35. She's not a baby. She knows everything that's going on. She's in charge of her emotional life. Uh, You've said that everything, every time you bring something up, it causes heartbreak and tension and anxiety. So let it go. 
Let it go. Just accept yeah. her as she is. She's a single woman. Lovely. She's having a nice life. Great. It's not your... It's not your yeah. party. I guess the worry is they're, they're looking at her thinking, mm, she doesn't seem that happy. You know, if she's if she's not an ad for being single, then <laughs> people, I think, think you must be unhappy. And also, I think people, they, they feel judged. If, if people make different decisions than they have, they feel kind of oddly judged. I think that's more um, to the point. I think, you know, people yeah. who have children and partners and houses and mortgages and cars and so on think, what, what, what am I doing wrong? Why has that person not got yeah. any of those ties? So, what did you think? Russell in Portsmouth says, Maria's right. Have you considered that she's single out of choice? A lot of people during lockdown have realised they're better on their own. Give her time and space and see how it goes. Well, in fairness, it has been seven years. That's quite a lot. <laughs> that's quite a lot of time and space. Uh, Chrissy should ask her friend if she would accompany her to a night class, a new sport, some activity that she is not prepared to go to on her own and needs her friend for moral support. That way, her friend will feel as if she is doing Chrissy a favour, but will be put into new social situations along the way. I like what you've done there, Catherine at Oxfordshire. Yes, you've, you've drawn her out of herself by making her think she's doing the good deed. Louise in Rugby. How do you know your friend wants a family? As she told you, because it sounds like you were assuming. She is 35 and can make her own life choices. You are being good friends and seem very caring. However, if she is happy in her life now, leave her be. I guess it's difficult to know whether she is happy in her life now. Uh, Jay and Corden. This might sound harsh. But Chrissy, you need to back up and instead of focusing on your friend's single status and childless life, focus on supporting them in overcoming the core issues of their anxiety. Once that's addressed, everything else will fall into place for them. You know what, Jane Corden, because you, you began your advice with this mount might sound harsh. It may be like your advice. So you are going to get the summer fresh cream Victoria sponge cake from Waitrose newly launched chilled desserts selection oh yeah for the best advice the best advice i'll be awarding the best advice uh, a summer fresh cream victoria sponge cake from waitrose newly launched chilled desserts selection as eaten by maria it'll it might be a bite out of it when you get it but uh, <laughs> a bite half of it's but gone it'll, already it's, it's nearly new yes nearly <laughs> nearly new it adds value doesn't it i've had a bite a bit <laughs> yes mm, as eaten by <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's my second letter for your delectation and delight. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I've been with my partner for five years and for his birthday I bought him some tickets for a gig that was meant to take place last year. Has since been rescheduled due to the Panny D. He knew I was going to buy the tickets and that would be his present as he is a big fan of the band and hasn't managed to see them live before. We've always chatted about these things to make sure we get what we want. Good. Good advice for a relationship. However, I never ended up giving him the tickets as we broke up before his birthday last year. There's no bad blood. Things are a little awkward, but we're giving each other space. The gig hasn't been mentioned, but the rescheduled date is coming up later this year. I don't want the tickets to go to waste and would quite like to go and take a friend instead. But is this unfair? I don't think we should go together, so either I have to give them to him or keep them. What do I do? And that is from Louise in Manchester. Five years together, Louise in Manchester. Sorrows to hear that, but, you know, you got some tickets. A very quick answer from me on this one, Louise in Manchester. 
Keep them. Go with a friend. He's had his moment. Nobody has mentioned it. It hasn't come up. He hasn't said, oh, yeah, I know we split up, but can I still go and see? I'm, I'm longing to know what the band is, actually. Um, so I would just say, Louise in Manchester, hold on to them. What do you think, Graham? Well, it's Ooh, a, that was a I very she... big deep breath there. Well, I just think morally, she bought the tickets for him. He knows... She bought the tickets for him. Yes, his birthday didn't happen, but essentially they are his tickets. Now, having said that, Maria's quite right. You've already broken up with him. How much more upset can he be? So uh, (laughs) you might as well just keep the tickets and go to the concert. But know that you've done a slightly ugh thing. You will feel better if you give him the tickets, I think. Oh, really? Do you think so? I think she will think, think five years of my life I wasted on that loser and now he wants the tickets to see (laughs) Dire Straits. (laughs) Well, he can go jump. She already got the tickets. She already got the tickets. I I know, but it's last year. They broke up last year. Come on, you don't keep saying, oh, I know you like this album. I know we've been broken up for 17 years, but I think we might like it. You know, cut cut ties. That's not, that's not. I know. That is not not what's going on here. And, uh, but you're quite right though, cut ties. And as I say, he can't be any more upset. You broke up with him, so. (laughs) Well, we don't know. He may have broken up with her. It just says they, they broke up. Well, if that's if that's the case, then she's being incredibly nice to even consider giving him the tickets. Yeah. Um, I just. She says there's yeah. no bad blood. I just. Well, there will be bad blood if you don't give him these tickets. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but who cares? I mean, like I say, you broke up already. <laughs> you broke up already. You didn't own a house together. You don't have kids together. So if you never speak to him or see him again, what does it matter? Uh, but you get a great night out, a concert. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if... But just know, just know that's what you're choosing. But Louise in Manchester... a night out at a concert. If she feels so bad about it, is this unfair, there's no bad blood between you, etc. Well, if it's so lovely and hunky-dory, then just go with him. It's just, you know, two friends going to a concert because you both no, share... Bad, no, that's a terrible idea. Why? Terrible because then he gets to be all smug and thinks that she wants to get back together with him or something. Well, you know, it's just mixed messages. Don't do that. That muddies the water. I think um, <laughs> Louise is absolutely correct that that isn't the way forward because it's that there's a kind of a, a murky, weird subtext there, which isn't helpful. I think either be the bigger woman and give him the tickets or go, you know what? Who cares? I'm having them. I bought them. I'm, I've got them. And you go. But don't. Don't try the middle ground. I wouldn't do that. That's more interesting, the middle ground, by the way. Then she can write to us again and tell us what happened. (laughs) And then in a moment of foolishness, encore, I kissed him. Uh, (laughs) It didn't mean anything, but he now thinks that it did. Um, My advice, Louise, is go. Take the ticket, take a friend, hopefully a new partner, and um, have a lovely time. Yeah, you know. And also, it will be funny because he'll probably be there anyway. He'll, he'll have bought his own tickets by now. Yeah, he'll be in the VIP suite, won't he? He'll, be on, he'll have backstage all areas. He'll be, stage play, he'll be on stage play playing tambourine. Bass. Yeah, turns out he's a really good friend of the band and didn't need to buy tickets. <laughs> he just didn't tell you because he was planning to dump you. Oh, we are very, very evil this morning and that's how I like it. What should she do? Victoria, Julie, Martin and Richard uh, say, Hi, Graham, with regards to making your mind up, about the gig tickets, say na 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 to giving them to your ex. Forget about the embers of your past relationships. Rise like a phoenix and go with a friend. Uh, they also claim they're very excited for Eurovision. We could tell. 
We could tell you're very excited about Eurovision. Janet from Bedfordshire. Uh, Louise, if you don't want to upset him or yourself, sell them. Job done. Now, you see, Maria and I, we've no business acumen. That's a very good idea. Alex in London, offer him the tickets. If he's a gent, he'll decline and say, you should use them. Win-win. You're not a bad person and still get to go. Yeah, if he's a gent. We don't know anything about this man. Uh, Jackie in Hampshire, been there, done that. Took my sister. Go have fun. Why doesn't she just offer to sell him the tickets? That way she's giving him the option. And if he says no, then use them for yourself. Everybody's happy. That's from Jules Instrument on Severn. I tell you what I think, because your name is on it, I'm giving the Summer Fresh Cream Victoria Sponge Cake from Waitrose newly launched chill dessert selection to Victoria and Julie, Martin and Richard. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, time for my first guest of the day. Uh, she is an award-winning actor, writer, presenter, and now best-selling novelist. Her latest Us 3 is out now in paperback. Ruth Jones should be joining me now. Hello, Ruth. <laughs> Hello, Graham Noughton. <laughs> I know. I, I've already Hello. called you Ruth Ellis. I called you Ruth Ellis at the top of the show. The, the last woman hanged in England. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. The last woman to be hanged. <laughs> Well, it's a very a good film. Start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations, you Ruth Jones. Oh. You must be over the moon. The response to your novels. Oh, I am. I'm because I never really thought I'd, I'd write novels. So uh, yes, it was all a bit of a big surprise. But um, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed it. I've I've loved it actually. I mean, you know, you must know about that because you probably did. You ever think you'd be a novelist? I mean, I hoped I would. It was kind of a dream, but I I never thought I'd actually have the the gumption <laughs> yeah. or self discipline to sit down. And I think I needed to be a bit older to do it. <laughs> I mean, I think what's interesting, your first book, um, yeah. Nevergreen, it, it was based on a screenplay. So where did Us Three, where did the idea of this th story of these three friends come from? Yeah, well, Nevergreen, it was a screenplay that I'd written years, like 15 years before I wrote the book. And so it was sort of hiding in a cupboard somewhere. And um, and then I resurrected it. But I, I, in a way, I think Us Three was probably more my first novel. It was probably more like me. And um, uh, I think I wanted to write something Welsh because Nevergreen, it wasn't, there was a Welsh character in there, but um, I wanted to write something that was set in Wales. And, um, and I wanted to write about friendship because I wanted to move away from the whole relationship uh, um, arena that was uh, that Nevergreener was set in. So I thought friendship was a good one because I've had friendships that have been like lifelong for me. I'm still friends with girls I was in, in infant school with. And um, I just think it's a really interesting place to explore because you share so much of your life you you share the you go through those milestones together so um people friends that were say uh there when i passed my driving test were at my dad's funeral or at my wedding or you know so you share all these things and i love that code of reference and that humor that you all share you know but also the book examines that thing of what a friendship can cope with and what a friendship can't cope with so tell us a bit about uh, Lana Judith and, and Catherine yeah sure well um they're three Lana Judith and Catherine are three very different uh, personalities I guess they I, I describe them as being as different as chalk cheese and chocolate and they've known each other since they were five 
And when they were like, you know, about eight, they, they swore on a curly whirly wrapper in the playground that they would always be there for each other, come what may, which was a sort of a, a bit easier said than done as they got older. And life threw its challenges uh, at, at them and at their friendship, and it sort of tested their friendship. So I wanted to see... I, I really like the idea of writing a story that sort of spans over decades. And so I wanted to look at this friendship and whether it could last, you know, stand the test of time. Um, and uh, so I guess that's where the drama comes from in it. But it also gave me the opportunity to look at these three very different girls who shared this common bond, but were had a very different kind of attitude to life and different life experiences as well. So, uh, so yeah, and I think, you know, friendships, are, it's, a, it's a real gift in life, isn't it? And then to have lifelong friendships is an even bigger gift, I think. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I hope that when people read the book that they what I mean some of the feedback I have had is that they feel that they've got to know them that they are they become the three girls become friends of theirs as well as the, to the reader it's weird isn't it the, the people you do stay friends with and the, the friendship lasts and then you've got those friends who you realize actually all I've got in common with you is that we used to be friends <laughs> and there's no <laughs> there seems no rhyme or reason to the ones that last no, well, there's that. There is that saying, isn't there? Uh, friends for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And I think often, you know, you make friends in Round work. Of horse, Rotterdam. That maybe <laughs> oh. <laughs> friends that you you could become really good friends with somebody that you do a job with, um, and have a very intense relationship for maybe a few months, and then never see them again. I mean, that's definitely happened to me. Uh, and, the, and and I think, and then there are the friends, you know, like my friend Nicola, who I've known since I was about six. You know, I'll be Zooming her tonight and um, catching up on what we've been doing this week. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's weird. And I, I, you, in your book, I, I listened to your uh, audio book, The um, Life and Loves of the He-Devil. You talk about friendship in that. And 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 your, you've got long friendships, haven't you, that you've stayed in, They seem very important to you anyway when I listened to your book. Well, I think, uh, like you, I found success, you know, just that little bit older. And so it meant you had your friends yes, already. Yeah. I think I think success must be a weird thing yes. when you're 17 or 18. And then, you know, you'll never know why those people are your friends. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. Yeah. Uh, Ruth, where are you based? Are you based in London? Uh, no, Cardiff. Yeah, still Cardiff. Oh, did you ever leave Wales? <laughs> did you ever leave? Um, I did, Have well, you yeah, ever um, been? <laughs> I've never crossed the Severn Bridge. Um, yes, I did. I, I lived there when I first left drama school. Um, and then I went back a couple of years later. But uh, no, I, I've been in Cardiff really since mid-90s, I guess. Um, okay. My stepchildren were, were, were there and, you know, we didn't want to not be near them. So... Um, uh, yeah, so I've been in Cardiff ever since. And it's a great city, might I add. Of course it is. Of course it is. In fact, it's, <laughs> we're having a, an all Welsh show because uh, my other guest is Tom Ellis. Uh, he's from South Oh, Wales, Ruth Ellis's brother, is it? Yeah, Ruth that's Ellis's the one. brother. <laughs> uh, people have been in touch with, with questions. Uh, Robert in Hampshire says, have you got any more TV projects in the works? Your writing is my favourite. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yes, I have. Um, I'm co-writing two things with David Peat, um, and uh, but I can't really tell you about them yet, but they are going well. So uh, 
be patient if you would if you would um but they they will okay. be uh, appearing soonish <laughs> and you know you've been on the radio with me now for about 20 minutes and we haven't mentioned gavin and stacy which i think is some sort of record we've done very well <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yes. But it is it is the law, I have to ask you. Uh, but but I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if there were plans for more Gavin and Stacey, we'd know about it, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think so. I think I would know about it as well, but I haven't heard. <laughs> yeah, you, you would definitely know. Uh, yeah, no, it, you know, it, it is really lovely that people love it so much. Honestly, I, I can't get over it. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at how it, people still talk about it. And... Um, but no, we we I haven't James and I haven't seen each other well I think probably since we've finished filming, um, and we just it's just an impossibility to write really. Yeah. But but it's you know I also I also say if it ends where it ended I think that's still quite a nice cliffhanger. For all we know, Nessa could have already got married to uh, to Smithy, or she could have married somebody else. I mean, she's a Lauren to herself. She's probably a bigamist anyway. So. Um, uh... <laughs> but <laughs> who knows? All of you. All of you must have been sort of shell-shocked by the response to that Christmas special. I mean, I don't think yeah. even the the most optimistic uh, BBC executive <laughs> was expecting that sort of no. Uh, reaction. No, I mean, we, we kind of knew, we knew that people still liked it. And obviously there'd been a really good reaction when we announced that it was coming back. Um, but we still thought... You know, times have changed since Gavin and Stacey first went out in 2007. Um, people, you know, have got different tastes now. So we, we really didn't know. We thought if we could get, like, say, if five million people watched it, that would be amazing. And then, you know, we got the overnight figures and it went up to, in the end, it was like something like 17 million, I think. It was just insane. But, but lovely, wow. lovely. Yeah. Uh, Joanne in Leeds is asking, how's the switch between writing scripts and and books? I think I know the answer here, but you you just what what how do you find the the difference? Um well it it's a more lonely um no, a more uh solitary experience, I think. Um you don't check in so much with people. You kind of got to get on with it on your own. But I do like being able to get inside people's heads. I love that, which is something you can't totally do on screen. Um, so yeah, I, I I like that. What was I'm interested to know what your answer would be though. <laughs> well, just that thing that the 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 joy of the joy of total control that you know it there's no compromise there's no uh yeah. collaboration it's just it is your vision your world your characters you can play you know complete god rather than kind of demigod <laughs> yes yes that's that that is true that is very true um you've got a lot more freedom a lot more freedom um and uh but it's a very different process uh, and and and, and, and book 3 is book 3 happening longer. now yes Yes, book three is called Love Untold, and um, oh. it's about uh, four generations of Welsh women all in the same family. Um, and, it's a uh, saga, I've... ladies and gentlemen. It's a saga. <laughs> it is a saga. Yes, it is. It is a saga. I mean, I do. I'm really quite into writing stuff that's set in Wales now. So um, yeah. I'm. Yeah, I, I think it is something about writing what you. You know, I know it's. I know it's a cliche to say write what you know, but it. It's also. I think we get your best stuff, you know, because it's, it's in your DNA a little bit, really. 
Well, listen, congratulations on all your success, uh, especially with the novels. I know people love them. Us Three is out now in paperback. And what's the new one going to be called? Love Untold. Love Untold, yes. And when's that that going to be hit, hit a shelf? Probably next September, I think. I mean, no, you, 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 2022. No, I'm about halfway through. I'm really behind. Oh, I, I feel like oh, I'm going to fail my A-level. You were, so con- <laughs> you were so confident with your multi-generational and the title and everything. I thought, oh, she's definitely typed the end oh, on yes. that. But I no. know what it's about. I just have to write it. <laughs> It will be finished. It will be finished, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely to talk to you, Ruth Jones. Take care of yourself. Bye. Thank you, Graham. Lots of love. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It is time for my second guest of the day. Uh, This man, we first met him and fell in love with him in Miranda. Since then, he's gone on to find fame and fortune in America, playing Lucifer in Lucifer, season five, part two, premieres on Netflix from the 28th of May. Tom Ellis should be on the line now. Hello, Tom Ellis. Good morning, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Is it the middle of the night for you or is it the morning? What time is it? It's 4.05 a.m. So that's kind of early morning these days. It was the middle of the night back in the day. But um, yeah, early morning <laughs> for me. <laughs> Oh, my God. So you're in L.A., I'm in Rotterdam. I mean, how exciting is this? The world has shrunk, Tom. It's shrunk. Uh, It really has. It's like the Beautiful South song that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, uh, uh, weird, isn't it weird how you can misremember things? So in my head, in my head, what happened to you was you did Miranda... Then you did Downton Abbey, you found big fame, and then you ended up in Lucifer in America. You never did Downton, did you? It's so funny you say that, Dred. I was never in Downton Abbey. <laughs> but well, yet I that did, is my memory. My memory is you were. Because... You weren't secretly in my audition for it, were you? <laughs> no. No, I, yeah, no, I, uh, that was years ago. I don't know why you thought I was in Downton Abbey, but no, that never happened. But um, yeah. I, the Miranda part definitely happened, and the bit of doing coming to LA happened. But um. No, I don't know who you saw, but it wasn't me. So tell me this. So tell me this. Uh, the the Lucifer and the the career in America. Did that happen on the back of Miranda, or did that you did you just go to LA and go here I am, love me, hire me? <laughs> exactly that. Um, uh, yeah. No, it was it was weird. Uh, sort of Miranda being successful in the UK was great, um, but it also kind of meant that every time I went to audition for things, people didn't were expecting me to be Gary from Miranda, basically. And so I was starting to come to the States to audition for things and people didn't know who I was or what Miranda was. And it was quite, it was like a nice blank canvas to walk into a room and people not have any expectations. Um, So I was kind of like, I I got a a fair crack of the whip, as they say, um, when I started auditioning out here. And um, it was, it was... Yeah, it's just something that, that happened. I think the, the 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 way Miranda took off gave me the confidence to think I could come over here and maybe something might happen. Um, and it did. And it really did. I mean, yeah. I, isn't it strange? Like, Lucifer, I read with interest, was the most streamed show on Netflix in 2019. And... Uh, there and season five, part two starts on twenty eighth of May, and they've already commissioned season six. Is that right? They've, well, we've already shot season six as well, actually. Oh, so no, they better have commissioned about, it. We're, we're, <laughs> they've commissioned it. We've bit their hand off as soon as they did it. Um, no, it was weird. It, the way it all happened because of COVID, obviously, um, things got a bit delayed. So the season that's coming out, five B, that's coming out um, on Friday the twenty eighth, which is next Friday. Um, 
that's something that we started back in 2019 and we were due to finish it and we were two weeks away from finishing when we were shut down for COVID. So that, that explains the delay in our sort of programming. So we came back, finished that season and then straight into season six, which was our final season. So we're all wrapped up and, uh, and in the can. But for you to come from, you know, a BBC sitcom, to then being the lead in this show. Because I think if people haven't seen it, the, the scale of it, it's one of those really big budget American TV shows. I mean, you know, there's a, they have pile-ups on Sunset Boulevard, you shoot in all yeah. these amazing locations, tons of extras and things. I mean, how intimidating was it for you? Because you're kind of, you know, you're the main guy, you're the head of this thing. I know, it was, um, I had, I've had a lot of sort of pinch me moments during this whole experience. Um, and like you said, when we, were, when we were shooting the pilot, for example, we, were, we had that stretch of Hollywood Boulevard clothes where they have the Oscars, actually, where they have the red carpet for the Oscars between um, sort of Highland and, God, I can't remember it now at this time in the morning. But basically, for five nights in a row, we had that section closed off to do a shoot. And I was like, God, this is just crazy. And then when we finished that, the, the next week, we were filming something driving off into the sunset in Malibu. And I just like, um, yeah, I couldn't get my head around it. And like you said, the, the, the size of the production was something I'd never really experienced before on a TV front. They do like to do things bigger over here. That is very true. They really do. And listen, uh, we should say, if people haven't seen Lucifer, we should kind of explain what it is. So Lucifer, you are the devil. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like the hardest, it's the hardest show to sort of sum up in a media-friendly soundbite, so I'll try and do it. It, it, Basically, Lucifer is the devil. He got bored of um, running hell, uh, and so he went on a vacation to Los Angeles and ended up staying there, opened a nightclub, and then his path was crossed in the pilot episode with a detective who was investigating the murder of a friend of Lucifer's, um, and their paths crossing becomes the beginning of our story, basically. Um, and it's about his fascination with the detective and then um, how he basically learns about humanity through her and solving crimes with the LAPD. <laughs> but, it but it's is, funny. But it's also, but, but yes, but, but like, but, you know, but, but kind of got, there's mention of God, there's mention of, you know, various mm-hmm. angels and things. I mean, it's kind of, it's a weird, it's, it's weird that that story is so kind of involved in, essentially, it's kind of a crime story. But yeah, it's, it's originally based on a comic book by Neil Gaiman. Um, and, you know, it, it, so it's kind of like it's out of, out of Neil's kind of crazy head, um, this this concept in the first place. But then the the sort of the, the way in which the TV show adapted became very different from what the novel was, uh, from what the graphic novel was in the first place. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's just a, a very strange concept, and it's basically a redemption story. Um, so it, it takes on this kind of like pre, police procedural guise, but actually at the centre of it is a love story and a and a story about a man just trying to be um, judged to be his own man and not what everyone else thinks of him. And what's the story? Because so season five is on mm-hmm. Netflix. Season four is on Netflix to catch up on. But mm-hmm. then one, two and three are on Amazon Prime, but six will also be on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Is, is, it yeah. that, is it one of those shows that just fans love and fans insist you keep making? Well, so, but, so basically the, story, the, the, the show started on Fox in the, in the States. And like any shows these days, you know, it, its incarnation is here, but then it goes on to streamers around the world. And yeah. we were on Fox and we were doing relatively well on Fox. But what, um, what we didn't know was we were doing really well outside of the Fox domain. Um, and then after season three, Fox um, cancelled the show and um, our fans around the world kind of said, hold on a minute, we were watching that. Um, and, <laughs> and, and then didn't stop saying that for like quite a long time. And then it, it, it just kind of like 
tsunami of love happened over social media and people just like saying, we want Lucifer back, save Lucifer. And uh, Netflix swooped in and, and picked up the show. And so seasons four, five and six are all Netflix, yeah. uh, a Netflix production. Um, I think around the rest of the world, basically, you can watch it on Netflix, Netflix season one to six. But in the UK, because it was already streaming on Amazon, Amazon wanted to keep the first three seasons. So that's why we're okay. split across the two giant streamers in the UK. But, but clever, um, really clever of Netflix to buy, uh, a, you know, a franchise that people love already, you, you, where you know there's an audience for it. It's really clever. See, that's the, that, that's the strange thing about, like, being on the other end, on the receiving end of it, is, like, we were cancelled by one by, by one place, which made, which makes you feel like, oh, maybe people don't like the show or don't like it. Uh, you know, don't watch it. And then Netflix swooped in and proved that people were watching it. And now we are, well, Netflix's biggest show in terms of numbers and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a Lazarus story. It should be called Lazarus, not Lucifer, to be honest. Um. <laughs> Asher told the Bible. Now, Tom, people have been in touch. Jess wants to know uh, how much do you have this? How much do you miss the UK now you're abroad? Not at all. <laughs> uh, no, I miss it a lot. I mean, obviously, my, my kids are still in the UK. So, but you know, pre-COVID, I was back and forth, and they were back and forth a lot. Um, I was actually back there about a month ago, and I, w- I felt very nostalgic because I was back in Wales, actually. But yeah, I do. I miss the UK. I just don't miss the weather. Because, uh, yes, the Welsh accent seems to have uh, vanished entirely, and that was before <laughs> LA. Well, great. Well, that's the thing, Graham. I was actually, t- I was born in Cardiff, and I actually moved from Cardiff when I was two years old to England. So <laughs> my, um, <laughs> I didn't have much of a strong accent when I was two years old, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've got a kind of mishmash of, of the British Isles in my accent, really. My dad is very Welsh, and my mum's very, very English. Because um, how did you end yes. up going to drama school in Scotland? How did that happen? Well, it was just, I mean, the same way that anyone kind of auditions for drama school, I just couldn't afford to be a drama student in London. So my, I, I didn't really uh, apply to any of the London drama schools. Um, but I'd visit, I had a friend actually at the Royal Scottish Academy um, who was a, a year older than me, and I went to go and visit him in Glasgow just to see what it was like up there. And I absolutely loved it. Glasgow is just the most amazing city, especially as a student. And the college was doing really well at that moment in time. And it was still an amazing academy. But at that moment in time, it was really sort of riding on the crest of a wave. And, um, yeah, I was there. I mean, I was me, me and uh, James McAvoy was in my class with me. We were best buddies at drama school. We've still been mates ever since. It was quite successful at the time. And Sam Hune was the, was the year below me. So it was like a nice little pod of us. Wow. I know. I know. Stable of stars. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, so yeah, I didn't freezing away and so, I up there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you're not all in Outlander. It's amazing. Um, no, so here's the thing. Yeah. So I didn't realize that season six was was done. So that's in in the can. So what's LA like now? Is, are, is everything kind of are, are all the productions up and running again? Or is filming going full steam ahead? Or is it all still a bit yeah. tentative and odd? Well, it was weird. I mean, we came back to start shooting again in September last year. So we basically shot through the, the, the teeth of the second wave over here. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was it was really, really tough to try and you know, be creative in those conditions. Um, but, you know, uh, like most things over here, they throw money at the problem um, and, and just get on with it. So... Um, the production is up and running. It's a very different kind of feel at the moment. And I think we're sort of, we're breaking through the the protocols are becoming less and less stringent. But yeah, um, yeah they're just, they're, they're getting on with it basically. Well, yeah, I mean, you would never tell that this uh, season of Lucifer had any 
thing to do with a lockdown because it's so kind of full on yeah. and and populated and, and busy. Sorry, so. I was just saying we shot we shot the majority <laughs> we shot the majority of this season pre-COVID actually. So um, everyone's going, oh my god, I can't believe they did this during COVID. We didn't. We did most of it before COVID. Um, Don't spoil it. Just... Don't spoil it. Let us, <laughs> let us be amazed. <laughs> Look at all those smoke and mirrors they've got. Wow, um, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> they can't stop kissing. <laughs> look, how, look how many of them there are it's unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> season five part two which i choose to believe was filmed entirely under lockdown conditions <laughs> um, premieres on netflix on the 28th of may tom thank you so much for getting up thank early you, or staying man. up late but hey, thanks for joining us take care of yourself <laughs> thanks buddy enjoy your revision take care all right will do take care of yourself coming soon billy howell fills us in on brand new britbox series the beast must die but up first here's angela scandon talking us through the brand new series of your home made perfect hello angela hello graham um, congrats <laughs> on last night sorry hello um, uh, congrats <laughs> on last night how how's the head well, it's, it's fine. It's my first dry Eurovision. There wasn't. Well yeah. done. No, not well oh. done. Not well done at all. I didn't want it to be a dry Eurovision. Okay. I was like, oh, I missed this new leaf you've turned over. No, um, no. Okay. It was a leaf okay. forced upon me. It was a dry. I mean, oh, no. Well, they told, kept telling us, oh, because of COVID, it's dry, 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 dry. And then what? I'm looking down at the green room and they're swimming through white wine I mean, down it was there. absolutely wet as it gets, wasn't it, down there? Yes, I, I must say all COVID regulations seem to be forgotten at about yeah. <laughs> from about half nine on. It was just yes. a, a, a big pile of bodies down in the green room. Anyway, oh my god, but uh, joyous to look at. So thank yes. you. No, and it, and it was you could tell it was lots of young people let out for the first time in months. <laughs> yeah. Escaped. Yeah, it was. Uh, how are you, Angela? I'm all right, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm grand. I've been kind of, like, I was let out last night as well and have kind of been, you know, gently easing myself back in. I have to be honest, I have um, really rediscovered my inner hermit or my introvert you know obviously like in the gig in this kind of gig there's an assumption that you're an extrovert and I like I really liked being holed up in my spare room working on my own yeah <laughs> I mean it's not the worst thing I mean I think the main thing is working if you're still working this then is true you can, you, you can cope with anything really yeah, absolutely um, yeah I feel like a moron because I have not, I have not seen your homemade perfect before. It is obviously clearly hugely popular. Back for season three, it's yeah. so good. It's oh, really, really, really good. I loved it. Oh, good. Yeah, no, it's a good little show. And you saw the first episode, did you, of this series? One with Shelley and Stephen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lovely one. They're like a great couple. But yeah, so if anyone else like like you hasn't seen the show, it's a re- it's a make-o- home makeover show, but using virtual reality, which is the, the I, I suppose, the clincher. And you kind of, so people get come to us with a house that they hate or they hate each other and they're hoping that if they fix the house, that'll sort out their issues. And so we... Um, have well originally we had two two architects this series we now have a choice of six architects and then two are chosen to present their design in virtual reality and then couple picks it we build it happily ever after is how it's supposed to go so yeah it's it's a it's been kind of surprising to me how how well it's gone down and maybe we got lucky in that the second series came out in lockdown when literally everyone was sitting at home going what can I do 
with this living room, <laughs> you know. So it was, it felt quite timely, actually. No, because what I loved about it was the instant gratification, because I was watching it thinking, oh, they're just going to choose which virtual reality plan they want. Mm-hmm. But then they build it and then you get to go and see the real thing. It's fantastic. And like, oftentimes there's a kind of a fear from my point because the, the virtual reality aspect is I mean, it's photo real picture. So it's not like some kind of clunky video game where you kind of like it looks very real. And actually this series, it looks even more real. And so I kind of thought, oh, my God, we're going to go to these houses. And it's like a dusty old version of it where everything's <laughs> a, a little um, a little rougher around the edges. But the reveals are fantastic. And then oftentimes, you know, People will obviously, as is their want, they pay for the house um, and it, they've got to live in it. So they change things around. And so it's lovely to see those kind of decisions that have been made and whether you agree with them, whether you don't agree with them. So there's lots and and there is a lot of instant gratification because there's multiple kind of reveals. You know, you get the initial visit of their old house and then you get the two reveals from the architects and then you get the actual house. So, yeah, it's a, it's a roller coaster. And tell me this, how much actors involved? Because obviously the the contestants, not contestants, the contributors, whatever they're called, the people who own the house, they put on the virtual reality headsets. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's obviously them walking through the house, blah, blah, blah. But then we see them in the virtual reality house. So are they, I mean, because bless them, they're not actors, but they have, so they're just standing in a big green room. Are they going, oh, I love the kitchen. Yes, you're killing the vibe. But yes, this is a question that so (laughs) many, so many people ask. And up until now, I have never responded to it because it's on Twitter and I just go, you know what, deal with it. Just accept it. Watch the telly or turn it off. Um, But actually, yeah, there's a green screen and I'm usually not there. The green screen is done in a separate thing in Birmingham. So basically they record them and, you know, it's kind of overlaid. So it's not like they're doing a monologue, you know, but there are moments where they'll go, wow. And they'll just have to repeat. So they'll either be played back the original where they have the goggles on and they'll kind of attempt to to give us something that resembles their original reaction. But a lot of the time the original sound is there and then you're just seeing a nice yeah. big reaction and then back to the to the kind of sound. But yeah, it's um it is a, a topic of of great interest, that whole green and screen. How malarkey. long? How long does one episode I presumably you're filming all the episodes at the same time in order that yeah. this isn't just your life's work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And also there's now a sister show called Your Garden Made Perfect, which is like a similar it's exactly the same but for gardens but yeah it's done so <laughs> I get it I get it yeah okay I, did, I didn't think I needed to explain but just in case it's early you know um, so on um, we do the hub um, so which is where I meet the couples and they have the whole virtual reality experience which is kind of a, a big part of like a, the bulk of the show so that's all done in um, in a week or 10 days slightly depending on schedules and all yeah. of that kind of malarkey and then yeah we do we have now introduced inspiration shoots so um that i go to kind of visit with e- each architect um these oh, amazing yes, that wedge house that wedge house is great <gasps> 
the wedge house that's the um oh a rothschild it like one designer of the year. i mean it's insane and makes you feel really depressed coming home to your own house you're like oh this <laughs> yeah. is so inspiring oh jesus yeah i present the show i shouldn't live here <laughs> i know i'm like when am i gonna match up with this vision that i'm creating um but yes they are amazing houses so that's done separately and then the reveals are obviously all around the country we've got one in northern ireland this year um Newcastle yeah everywhere so that's a bit of a, a traveling circus so yeah it's um it, but it's actually quite neat and yeah look because we're dealing with builders and real people and real budgets a lot of the time um you know things get pushed around <laughs> but it's um, oh, I have so ma- I have so many questions I have so many more questions uh, and to tell me this Shelley and Stephen in episode one appear to be yeah. the happiest couple on earth they just seem so loved up and just just in just the joy in their life is they're palpable. um they're amazing honestly amazing couple mad as brushes which is why i love them but you must get couples who are there's a little bit of tension a little bit of fisticuffs in their virtual headsets <laughs> yes um yeah and you can see it sometimes you kind of maybe now in series three we've um they're like a li- they seem to get on a little better but there were a few couples <laughs> i won't name names but like where when we went to the reveals, it was like, how are they going to live here? Like, it looks great, but they still hate each other. <laughs> so there's a lot of tension. And also you you kind of learn very quickly who's the boss. Is it like a guy who cooks and wants a, you know, chef level kitchen or, um, you know, will the girl who like or the woman who likes yoga get her little studio? And yeah, you know who's boss, really. And the, some of the dynamics, I think it's almost in an odd way, like a therapy session or what I imagine couples therapy would be like, where sometimes it's not until there's a third party looking at this scene unraveled that yes. it becomes really apparent to the person who needs to get out. <laughs> Um, Georgina in Leeds has been in touch. Are there any, any are there ever any designs you secretly think are awful, or, or, or are there ever kind of times where the couples choose the design you think, why did you choose that? Well, sometimes there are surprises, which I think is is good because obviously if it's a foregone conclusion then there's not much of a, a show um so yeah you you kind of want people i mean the, the best thing for me is when couples who appear to be very conservative and very straight will choose the slightly bonkers design and that's just glorious like in series two we had and in fairness they weren't conservative but julian and sylvia who ha- who chose a design by robert jameson who it was a relatively small house. She loved baths and couldn't fit a bathroom <laughs> upstairs. So he decided that they he would put a bath in the, in the living room. And I kind of thought, I mean, this is brilliant. It's brilliant for the show. This is exactly what we need. But obviously, they're going to go with the other design. And they went with the bath in the living room. And it, I mean, people went absolutely wild. And I, in the reveal, served her gin and tonic while she was bathing in the, in the living wow. room. And sure, she's happy as Larry with her bath. And also, it was kind of this one where you thought, okay, it's a very unlikely choice but it maybe gives people permission to go do you know what yes we can do the open plan living room for when guests come over once in a blue moon or i can have pasta in a bath and i know which one i'd choose see see 
sensible old me is thinking resale value. You'll never <laughs> shift that house. You'll never shift that house to the bathroom in the living room. Well, it was kind of tucked in under a bench seat. So it could be contained. Like it wasn't like you walked in and, and there was soap and um, flannel and a pumice stone. Kirsty Allsop. Kirsty Allsop's having none of that bath in the living room. That's She's having gone. none of it. But do you know what? I do think things have shifted a bit because previously, and we do get that a lot where couples come in and they're like, oh, we don't want to lose a, a room. And they have a series of rooms in the house that nobody uses, that many of yeah. them are useless. And actually, there is no value to that. So I think people are now coming around to the fact that the value is how you live in a house, not just the the number of rooms. So kind of like slight quality over, over quantity, you'd hope. And very quickly, this is quite niche, but just architects, architects, yeah. Angela. Go. So like... <laughs> I won't give away what it is, but there's a bit in episode one with Shelley and Stephen where the architect designed this thing, they love it, and then they, the builders are going, oh yeah, you can't, you can't build that. And like, that yeah. seems to happen a lot with architects. What, what is their skill set if they just draw nice pictures that you can't actually build? Well, see, I would argue that maybe there's a question mark over the skill set of the builder because oh often, okay i know controversial i'm sorry come at me my dad was a builder so deal with it but um <laughs> i think uh yeah and it's an architect's job to push and you know they're obviously qualified to understand whether something can stand up structurally but oftentimes builders will go ah gee like i mean i, I have another job in <laughs> two months and I'm not overrunning on this and it's much easier for me to just buy a thing that I can put up without this custom nonsense. So I think a lot of the time um, the builder will go, ah, no, and and slightly push back. That's not always the case. I'm not saying that was the case with Shelley and Steve, but architects hopefully will be able to hold the person's hand or the couple's hand and push back when necessary and then know when they've, you know, gone okay. too far. Well, I'll leave you to deal with the lawsuits, Angela. Um, <laughs> Builders will be in touch. Will, I can't wait. <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> Honestly, it's yes, so sorry. good. It's so good, Angela. Thank Congratulations you. on season three. Your home made perfect. Eight o'clock tomorrow at BBC Two. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you Virgin. so much. Lovely. To Take talk care of yourself. Bye bye. All Safe right. Bye bye bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. This man made a huge impact last year in the BBC One series The Serpent and now he's back on our screens in The Beast Must Die exclusively on BritBox from Thursday the 27th of May. His name is Billy Howell and he should be on the line now. Hello Billy. Hi Graham. Hi. How are you? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Bristol actually at the moment. I'm shooting a a new TV show for Amazon. Is this the uh, Infinite Storm? Uh, no, I, we finished that one. That shot in um, Slovenia uh, about um, about a month ago, just over a month. Uh, this one is a series for Amazon called Chloe, which is a psychological thriller. And what a time to be Billy Howell! I mean, you you seem to have just <laughs> arrived on our on our screens, fully formed. I mean, did did I miss seeing you playing kind of you know third nurse from the left in Casualty, or did you <laughs> did you, did you just arrive did you just arrive as a star? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny, really. Because I, I don't obviously I have no sort of frame of reference for it, you know, except for other people's success. And I try not to, you know, compare my uh, trajectory with anyone else's. But but yeah, I think it's funny. Yeah, I guess I've done a lot of the graft. Um, and I was always quite wary of, you know, being a breakthrough really early on, because I know sometimes that doesn't go too well. So I like the fact that I've just worked hard and it sort of, you know, feels like an upward trajectory at the moment anyway. 
All right, we'll talk about other things in a bit, but let's uh, talk about The Beast Must Die. So this uh, is a kind of revenge, dark revenge drama. Um, uh, it's your job. You tell us about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's a, yeah, it is. It's a, <laughs> it's a revenge you do the heavy, thriller. You do the heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, set on the, um, it's set on the Isle of Wight. Uh, um, entire, nearly, nearly um, entirely. Uh, some of it's in London, but pr- predominantly on the Isle of Wight. And it, it sort of follows um, the hit and run of a six-year-old boy and his mother, who's played by Kush Jumbo. She she wants to sort of avenge his death. Um, and the only thing that uh, allows her to, to carry on doing that is is to try and hunt down um, and kill the the man she thinks is responsible for that hit and run. Um, and I play a detective. Uh, called Nigel Strangeways, um, who's had his own troubled past and is suffering with PTSD. And so he takes this, what he thinks is going to be a quieter job, a bit of an escape on a quiet island such as the Isle of Wight is. Uh, But then, of course, you know, uh, ends up being embroiled in this quite complex uh, tragedy, really. And you feel, I mean, filming on the Isle of Wight... uh must have been so strange but during lockdown it must have felt particularly odd that you were presumably you were all just kind of on that island and bubbling and that was it yeah so i mean funnily enough the character's quite isolated anyway so i, I kind of had three <laughs> la- three three layers he wore a face mask anyway he always wore a face mask yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it was yeah yeah and he was always cleaning his hands anyway yeah um no so <laughs> so so, so anyway, so we had these sort of three layers of isolation. The island is isolated anyway. Um, and, and then I was sort of, you know, living on my own doing this job and the character was quite isolated. So it sort of worked for me. Um, it made it quite difficult, you know, the social aspect of it. One of the things I like the most when I'm working is meeting new people and being able to go out for dinner or um, drinks. And there was a sort of small window of time while we were there when things tentatively started opening up. Uh, but it didn't last very long. I spoke to Chris Jumbo, and she would say what's funny about it, on the Isle of Wight, everyone you met turned out to be an extra in it. <laughs> everyone was <Yeah>. in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. We, yeah, we had a, a cast of, um, you know, a couple of thousand. They, they all had small roles in it, yeah. And so it starts ex- exclusively on BritBox from Thursday the 27th of May, and I think this is the first kind of exclusive drama they've done, is it? That is right, yeah. It is the, the first drama for BritBox, yeah. Um, so no pressure, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it is an amazing cast. So you know, come on, come on, people, people will watch that. Yeah, yeah. And, no, for sure. and I read an odd thing about you in lockdown. Is it true you? Uh, <laughs> I hope this is true that you built a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy in in lockdown. It wasn't quite. I wouldn't go as far as say a ventriloquist dummy. It was uh, a little more sort of rough around the edges than that. But it was a mechanical puppet that could talk, yeah. Um, that sounds very like a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> sure, yeah. Is, um, is this your fallback career now? Well, building puppets? Well, I, I wouldn't say no. Or, or, you know, I mean, or being a ventriloquist. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I think it was like, you know, the seven seven depths of boredom, really. Um, and that was the seventh one, really. <laughs> have you have you performed with your puppet? Not yet. <laughs> And tell me, the, the serpent then, were, was all of your stuff done uh, on fabulous locations or were you one of the people who got stuck pretending it was nice in Britain? Yeah, in Tring, nonetheless. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, no, I, I was very fortunate. So all my stuff was, was in Thailand uh, and mainly in Bangkok because it was true to life. That's where Herman spent most of his time um, in a very hot office in, uh, in Bangkok. Yeah. 
because I was I was watching it and I was thinking, wow, like these sets and 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 the places you are are they must be doing so much of the performance for you because it's you know you're really there. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, geography is the first port of call, really. And if you're, if like, for instance, if you're pretending to be really cold or pretending to be really hot, you know, it, it does require a lot of your energy, which then is ends up being displaced, and you can't focus on actually delivering dialogue. You know, when did yeah. you get chance to to be bored? Because it seems like you have worked constantly through lockdown. Yeah, I've been very fortunate, and you know, if, if there's one thing I hope, I hope that it's sort of, sort of shining light. Oh no, I hope that it was a shining light to the people, some of my contemporaries who, you know, are really unfortunately just haven't worked at all, and it's been incredibly tough for lots of people. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have been busy. The thing is, I don't do well with idle time. So if if I'm if there's the fear that I might start to feel slightly bored, I'll take up something new, um, like building puppets. <laughs> Yeah, well, boredom threshold quite low. <laughs> yeah, I have I haven't been employed for over half an hour. I'm building a puppet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in in terms of what we're going to see, so the the beast must die is uh, that's out on the thirty Thursday, the twenty seventh of May, and then is infinite storm the next thing we're going to see? Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what the time frame is likely for that. I'm imagining sort of award seasons it'll go for. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a you know a real journey that film um, filming on the on a mountain in it's, Slovenia. Um, well, Naomi Watts, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And what's that about? Uh, it's a it's a sort of I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but it's a rescue story essentially. I, I'm playing the person being rescued. Oh, okay. That sounds quite a. I mean, it. I feel being rescued is probably quite a cold part. Yeah, it was rather, yeah. A lot of sitting around. <laughs> yeah, and shouting help, yeah. Harry in Surrey was asking about your accent in uh, The Serpent. Because it was, I, it, it, you, because there was an international cast, you sort of assumed, oh, he must be a Dutch actor. Uh, mm. So how hard was the accent? It was, it was one of the most difficult uh, accents I've had to do. And I, I did a lot of work. I was, I was really worried how it would come off. And I was sort of prepared to apologise to sort of all Dutch people uh, for what I was about to do. And it's interesting that the feedback I've got, you know, some Dutch people messaging me in Dutch, you know, assuming that I am a Dutch actor, which is a great, you know, uh, testament to what I've done. And then other people who are also Dutch saying, you know, never speak Dutch again. So a real mixed bag. But uh, all I can say is I tried my best. And was the real, was the real, I know a lot of the real characters came to set. Did, did, did you meet up with your guy? I did a number of times. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it was my birthday actually. And uh, Herman and his wife uh, took, took, took me out for, for dinner and uh, I drank sort of, I don't know, 12 different cocktails and Herman was matching me drink for drink. So it became quite a lively evening, shall we say. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that as an answer. I was, thinking, I, I was thinking when the real person comes on set, it must be interesting and then just kind of annoying. It's kind of like, oh, go away. I'm being you now. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, uh, the, I felt a sort of, I don't think it was an undue pressure, but more pressure than I ordinarily would playing a role, you know, because Herman was around. And I, I wanted to honour it because it's such a, a sort of tragic story for the people who lost their lives, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I had to get it right for that reason, really, more than anything else. And it was Herman's story. So, well, good job on that, and good luck with the Beast Must Die. It streams exclusively on BritBox from Thursday, the twenty seventh of May. Billy Howell, thank you so much for joining us. Take care now. Bye. Thank you. Cheers, Graham. 
Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast of the Great Shows. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.